This is TRO Signal. I'm Linda Philippi in McMinnville, Oregon. And my guest today is Jamie Bachrock of The Wandering Puffin. And Jamie, you're in Minneapolis, Minnesota? That is correct. Yes. My oh. office is in Minneapolis and I actually live in a suburb, but we can all call it Minneapolis. It's all good. Right, exactly. Well, I've only been there once, but I absolutely love the city. And what I thought was so fascinating, I was there in the summertime, was downtown in between the buildings and all yes. the, the skywalks and things. And I thought, what is that for? And then I thought, oh, snow. <laughs> all right. Exactly. And well, that's the you only, know, of course, it was the first skyway system in the country. And uh, it turned out that uh, it, it was a very good idea, especially when it's 30 below zero in the wintertime. Oh, my gosh. So how, how cold is it today right now? Right now, it's only about 17, 18 degrees, and it will warm up. It's nice and sunny. It'll be about 35, which, you know, shirt sleeve weather. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. For you guys, I'm sure that's true. Now, uh, so you're doing the COVID thing by uh, freelancing? Is that what you're doing? Teaching? Well, I mean, in order to earn a living right now, and having been a former teacher, I work in the local school district. And as long as they are open, I get to work with kids. It's a before and after school child care program. Okay. I've been doing it since 2006. I did it as a part-time supplementary thing. And now uh, it is my main income because right now the business is in dry dock. Oh, I know. Isn't it crazy? What a year this has been, huh? It has been. But I have to still remain cautiously optimistic that things are going to get better. And we'll just have to see. So I've decided to adopt that uh, old expression, prosperity is just around the corner. I like I'm go that. I'm going for it. We and Recycling it, you know what, it's, it's hopeful and I think it's true. So there we go. Well, I think about it this way. I mean, there are enough cliches out there. As long as we're <laughs> using more positive cliches, that's good. Because why expend energy on negative things? Because <laughs> I don't have the time of the day to do that. I know it's really true. So I have to tell you that in, in kind of trying to get to know you a little bit better before we did this interview, I was looking over your website and I, I like it and I love all the places that you go and I love all the things that you do and say, but mostly what struck me honestly was were the just many, many, many testimonials. And I'm not talking about Jamie did a great job with our vacation. <laughs> I'm talking, I'm talking about really like heartfelt, detailed, personal recollections and anecdotes. And, and it's clear to me that your clients um, have a fabulous relationship with you, but that the experience you give them really, truly, I mean, kind of melts their heart because what they write is so glowing. You can't fake that enthusiasm. You just can't. And, and that's honestly, so the energy to me that, that came from your website was, Wow, this is a this is a man who loves what he does and it comes across and people love him and what he does as well. So that that's how the energy from you comes out to the world, I think, at least to me. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful thing. I love it. I appreciate that, Linda. I mean, I do take I too, I, you know, I I live vicariously through every trip that I've ever planned for any of my clients. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I, I started my company in 2007, you know, perfect timing on that one, right? Just before the Great Recession. It is what it is. And I jumped in because, uh, well, I had worked for an agency for six and a half years. It was a situation where I had learned as much as I could do. I do not 
I cannot be put into a box. So I have to be able to find different ways to explore. And I have to tell you that as an educator of almost 30 years, I learned how to work with you know large classroom sizes and every kid learned differently. So it was a perfect opportunity working in the travel industry and working for all of my valued clients all around the United States and some in Canada and some in Europe uh, that they're all different. So there is nothing that I do that's cookie cutter. And so whatever the best scenario is for a client, I dive right in. And I, yes, I am extraordinarily animated because it's what I love to do. I've been traveling since I was six and it's a part of me. So that wandering part is, you know, I don't want to stop. So I did notice that that's something that you wrote about that you've been traveling since you were very young and you lived in Europe for a while. Can you tell me a little bit of that story? Well, I mean, I lived in Europe when I was 12 years of age. My uh, my old man is a professor of medieval history. So <laughs> we ended up living in Poitiers for a year where he could count stones because he was a medievalist. And so we lived there for a year. I ended up going to a French school for the first half of the year. So I learned French by actually being immersed in the culture. The, uh, the teacher, while she was probably attempting nicely to speak English, really didn't want to do it. That's sort of typical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I moved on to what was called a class d'estranger, a class for foreigners. And I ended up meeting a lot of people from around the world, whether it was North Africa, Norway. And it just sort of, it just sort of uh, brought the world closer. And I had a really good sense that you can't have this mentality in the, you know, of I'm an American and the rest of the world has to dictate. Uh, I mean, we have to be, you know, we have, what do I want to say? I want to say that, you know, they don't have to kowtow to us. And I go there and I ingratiate myself, but I do that with all of my colleagues all around the world. Uh, yes, I moved from New York city at age six And that was my first travel, although I think I did sail on the Erie Canal up in upstate New York at one point. So if you want to call that my first travel experience, I think that was around six or seven with my mother. But anyway, um, it's just it's been a part of me. I mean, I don't know how to I mean, I'm sitting still right now, but I don't know how to sit still. So if I don't get to explore, if I don't get to wander, if I don't get to try something new, whether it's a new food, being a former chef. Um, if, you know, I feel like Andrew Zimmern sometimes, obviously he's a much more famous individual. He's also from New York. He now lives in Southeast Minneapolis. Yes, he does. Oh, wow. Okay. And while I have never met him, he seems like a really good guy. And, uh, so no, I, I've lived, I've lived that way my whole life. Whenever there's been an opportunity to travel, whether it was my first bus trip across the United States on Greyhound and getting sick at a McDonald's in the Chicago bus station to uh, camping outside Hot Springs, uh, Arkansas. Um, And then there was a uh, deluge of rain and it became a river underneath my tent. But I've done all sorts of amazing things in my life. And uh, of course, the COVID situation sort of short-circuited that. But my gut feeling is that it's going to, it will get better. I don't know when. If I had, if I could... uh, uh, you know, if I had a crystal ball, I'd say six months to a year before we start seeing something moving. Of course, it depends on the vaccine. It depends on the willingness of people to go for it. I'm certainly going to dive into it. I got no problem with it because I want to travel. And I have a lot of colleagues who feel the same way. They're just willing to you know, take a chance. I mean, life's too short not to. 
Exactly right. Exactly right. I think so many of us in the travel industry, <clears throat> aside from um, you know the loss of business and mm -hmm. just um, you know disappointing clients, it's a personal yep. thing too. I mean, we're not traveling either, and that's what we love to do and get together with our colleagues and see people in places that we love. And so it's it's. I mean, clearly that that piece of it is somewhat of a first world problem. Yes, if we can all stay safe, but it doesn't yes. mean that it hasn't impacted our life in a huge way because it really has. Oh, it has you know? economically, yeah. it was emotionally. Uh, I found when this first started, I was just trying to reach out to colleagues, to friends, to family. Hey, I'm still here. Um, I'm hoping to uh, rise from the ashes like the Phoenix. Uh, when this is all said and done, I know another really bad cliche, but hey, we got to work with those. And, <laughs> you know, I like to be a support system. It's a two-way street. So if people right. come to me and say, hey, we're really frustrated because I will have conversations with client, uh, with colleagues and clients about what's going on. And the nicest thing that has ever happened is that when a client calls me up, not to say, hey, I'm ready to plan a trip, but they're calling, to, calling me and saying, hey, just want to see how you're doing. Right. Or one of my suppliers that calls up and says, how, you do, how are you doing? And that shows that there is a concern in the community. Again, not one of my favorite words, but I'll use it here. You know, within the industry, depending on you know what side of the uh, you know the aisle you're on in terms of whether a supplier or a buyer or whatever you happen to do. But I will find any way to stick around long enough to get through this, and that's why working in the schools works. I'll do whatever I have to do. I've done that my whole life, so call it being a survivalist in that regard, but I want to travel again. I want, I mean, I was used to being on the road. Six right. months last year on the road, this yeah. year took six months before I got on the road. Wow. Crazy thing. You know, I was going to, I was thinking about that while you were talking that <clears throat> the fact that you've got the kids, you know, yes. every day to, yes. to spend time with, but yes. not only that, I, I, I think this is a very, um, you know, a, a challenge and an opportunity for kids in particular. Yes. And yes. some people, I hear them saying, oh, God, my kids can't keep up with homeschooling. Oh, God, we're losing a generation of kids. And I'm thinking, we don't, we don't have to be. That's, that's an attitude, but that's a choice. The, exactly. other, the flip side of that is to say, hey, kids, guess what? This is totally new. We haven't done this before. Your parents and your grandparents haven't done this before. So we're, we're charting new territory together and we're finding new ways to, to do this, to be educated and to spend time with people we love and explore new technology and yes. time to do things that we didn't have time to do before. And so to me, it's, it's really, it's an opportunity for children and parents and all of us, if we choose to look at that way, instead of going straight down the victim rabbit hole, it's like, well, why? I mean, let's spin it positively. And you right, are right. a great person to do that because you have such a positive and infectious attitude for life that you can tell kids stories of, I don't know, exotic far off places, and they'll be all ears and they'll love it. And that's, those are the kinds of conversations that had this not hit, you wouldn't be having because you'd be doing trips for clients and traveling yourself. Exactly. So exactly. I think we're, we're all getting like new intersections in our lives in, in, yes. in different yes. ways. And I think that's really actually kind of exciting. It is really exciting. And again, having been working with kids since about 1984, roughly, um, I've always incorporated travel into it even before I was in the industry. So when I was a teacher in New York City back in 1984, 85, 86, thereabouts, I was there until 91 when I returned to New York City. 
And I would take uh, the kids on travel logs. And so the first four days, they would work really hard because I could be a tough cookie when it came to uh, making sure they did their work. But Friday, you know what? We took a vacation and I did the old fashioned slides, you know, the original PowerPoint. <laughs> I love it. I love it. From your trips, stuff from your exactly. own trips. Oh, exactly. my gosh. So they got to see Paris. They got to see Rome. They got to see Athens. And so the reality is that they were getting a, an opportunity since a lot of these were inner city kids, never seen anything outside their own neighborhoods. They were getting a chance to see a world out there. And I've been doing that ever since. So any opportunity to educate, not teach, but to educate and sit down and have a conversation, whether it's with a first grader who's six or seven or a middle schooler who is 12, 13 years old. I will push their buttons. I had a teacher in high school that would not let me get away with easy answers or I don't know. So I have learned that as an educator that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to push their buttons to make sure that they think. And sometimes they're confused because I will start speaking in a foreign language to them and they'll say, I don't understand. Then I'll start saying it in that language. And I'll say, so I'm confusing you. They'll say, yes. I said, good, you're thinking. And that's my goal. But I do that with adults, too. It's not that uh, it's not that it's a kid thing only, but I like to act like a kid. You know, life is too short to sit there and be serious about everything. And so I like to, you know, in a way, I joke around with my colleagues. I joke around with the kids. The kids don't know who Robin Williams was, but I can take <laughs> any idea and I can run with it. And they're going to look at me and they say, you know, you're crazy. I said, good. Yes, I am. Thank you. That's a compliment. Sure. So any of those strange things that I do in order to engage those kids or engage my colleagues, because it's sort of funny when I'm walking around, all of a sudden I hear a laugh down the hall because they had just gotten the joke I had done, <laughs> even though it wasn't even a joke, but it was funny, but they took them a few seconds for them to get it. But right. my mind is always wandering. My I, I'm always thinking about new things, what to do. And yesterday I was with a group of kids at one of the schools and uh, I was inspired by a friend of mine who lives in Rome and she's a, she is a uh, licensed tour guide. Unfortunately in Italy, the world is not very good there either as they're going into lockdown again, but she inspired me because she would bring the Borghese to life in a way that the average tour guide may not she was, she's extremely animated, but I've been that way anyway. I just came up with ideas, for example, taking the most mundane thing like a pen and say, okay, child number one, here's your pen. I want you to be able to tell about your special museum you're going to open up and tell us why it's so exciting to be able to, you know, share that pen or why they should come to your museum. Because... If you don't, if you're not animated about everything, then you're just an order taker. You're just there and you're just a robot. And I am absolutely not a robot and I cannot be put into a box. So as long as I'm healthy and happy and I can move around, then that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I love that. So let's talk about your, your fascination and love of Iceland. Iceland because, is, is yeah. my favorite place for okay, sure. Okay, let's talk about that. Okay. Well, the first time it was actually in Iceland is back in the day when there was an airline called Icelandic before Iceland Air existed. And we ended up flying back from Europe back to the States. That was at age 12. So back way back in 1974. Um, but ever since, because I got fascinated by 
um, puffins, which I saw my first one, not in Iceland, but in Alaska back in 1987, I knew that they were there. And when Iceland Air came into the market in, in Minneapolis in about 1999, I had an opportunity to go there and I took full advantage of it. So I spent my time in Iceland. I started, you know, becoming fascinated by it. Of course, the puffins are a part of it, but it's just an amazing culture. It's an amazing topographical uh, uh, wonderland. You know, so my clients are geologists or artists or, or people in, the, in, in culinary. There's so many different things that go on, plus the fact that I've had the chance to meet puffins. And I've had the chance to release puffins. And so because the puffin is my spirit animal, and that's a story into itself, when I started my company in 19, uh, well, no, 2007, there we go, uh, I was going to become the wandering puffin. But the, the Iceland thing, it's just a place where I feel very comfortable. Everyone has that special place in the world where they will go back to time and time again. And every opportunity to go there, I just feel like I belong. And so I missed that chance to get there and explore on my own or sometimes with colleagues or go to the conferences like anybody else in the industry. But there's just something special, especially the little Westman Islands and the one town of Hamey, where, of course, all that volcanic activity has happened back in the 70s and 80s. And um, and that's where the puffins are, the three million that come in uh you know, in April and leave around August, but I've had a chance to, to handle rescues and, and release them. And so it's a good thing. So it's just a special place for me. And everyone has that. And that's the place that is most special for me. Can you talk about uh, the puffins as your spirit animal? Can you talk about it is, that? It is indeed. The story around that is, uh, you know, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I was okay. up in Alaska in 1987. Uh, I was living in New York City at the time. I drove up to Alaska. I took the whole summer off. I think I was teaching. And so I had the whole summer and I decided to hop in my car. I drove up to Alaska, three weeks to get there, stopping and starting, three weeks up in Alaska. I went down to the Kenai Peninsula and I was going to go to the Homer Spit and I was going to do some halibut fishing. And uh, I was excited about that, you know, deep sea fishing, all that good stuff. And we get in the boat, we're flying out to that point to catch that big old halibut, and we stopped. And unfortunately, the reaction of it being stopped, the boat stopped and anchored, is that the boat was doing this. And so seasickness is not my favorite activity. I don't think it is for anybody. Um, and I was flat on my back. But they say if you're seasick or have motion sickness, you're supposed to look at the sky. You're supposed to look at the horizon, find some point to focus on. The reality is that that didn't do anything for me. So what do I do? I look at the water, that which made me seasick in the first place. And lo and behold, there was a little puffin in the water. And that became my focal point. And they were just, it was so cute through my, you know, my sickness, as it were, that I just started studying them and I started learning about them. And I was fascinated by the little birds. They were cute. Everybody says them, says that. And so I just collected puffin stuff. I don't know if you can see in my background here, but I got more puffin pictures and probably, I mean, if, if Guinness Book of World Records decided to come over here, I might, I might actually be in that book because of all the puffin stuff I have. But it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a passion, it's an obsession. And there was no doubt when I started my company that the puffin was going to be a part of it. As I've continued to collect artwork and everything else, 
Um, and so that's where the wandering puffin came from, but it became my spirit animal. Uh, but a good, crazy, independent film director said, yeah, it's your totem. I so, love that. I love that. Uh, yeah. I actually have one of the Alaskan drums where they made a puffin for me. One of the native Alaskans made it for me. So oh, wow. yes, it's my spirit animal for sure. I love and that. It's the power of the puffin that I send all around the world to people and say, hey, look, we're going to get through this. So it's wonderful. I love it. So, so when you do, do you take groups? Do you do any group stuff or do you mostly do FIT? I'm an FIT person. I do some small groups. I have thought about over the years launching a wandering puffin tour. And every time I've gotten started, something has happened that is, has made it so I had to put it on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that I don't want to do it, but uh, groups are not something that I've really focused on. My whole 24, 25-year career in the travel profession has been FIT. Mm-hmm. Because while a group situation is also creative, the ability to pick from all sorts of dif- different uh uh, locations, suppliers to create the customized built from the ground up tours that I do for my clients. That's, that's where my focus is. So the FIT and the creativity there is where I do my best. Okay. Now, am I willing to try to do groups? I've stopped and started multiple times. I've never been able to push that, but if someone tells me I can't do it, then that's probably going to be the thing that kicks me in the butt and says, okay, I'm going to make it happen. But yeah. I had thought about it before the COVID thing happened. Well, I wondered, you know, with, with the work that you do with kids and the work that you do mm-hmm. with travel, if you'd ever thought about, you know, doing something like for, I don't know, school kids, maybe even like school kids to Iceland or something. I would love to do that. In fact, I in, in the Westman Islands, I tried to talk to uh, uh, the officials at the local school there to try to coordinate something between American kids and Icelandic kids. Obviously, they, we could do Zoom meetings, that kind of thing, at least mm-hmm. to start so they can meet people. And I don't know if it's already happening. I suspect schools do do that. Um, but yeah, would I mind bringing a group of kids over? to a place like Iceland and show Iceland in my way, not the, you know, the big tour operators version where they're going to get a very unique perspective. And, you know, there'll be similar things to a lot of tours, but I have a lot of interesting little ideas on how I want to create it. Of course, it has to do with the puffin. So regardless, that's going to be a piece of it. And if there's an opportunity to go and uh, maybe help or handle rescues because kids love to, to help with animals, that might be the way to do it. So that's sort of my take on it. I think that's really interesting. I love that. Tell me about the Northern Lights. Where's your favorite place to go or send people for Northern Lights? Well, there are, there are a lot of different places in Iceland where you can see Northern Lights. Obviously, the basis of any Northern Lights has to do with the weather conditions. It also has to do with being further and further away from city lights, and Reykjavik does have city lights. So the further out in the countryside you can go, or up into the northern part of the country near Akareri or Husavik, there are always opportunities. But, you know, where's my favorite place? My favorite place is anytime I get a chance to see them. And of I've course. had a pleasure seeing them. So. Yeah, that's great. I, the, the Northern Lights, the only time, I mean, I went to Iceland just one time, loved mm-hmm. it, was absolutely fabulous. But I saw the Northern Lights in Alaska. 
And yes. What, and what was funny is we were, where were we? Mm, was it Fairbanks, Anchorage? Anyway. Probably Fairbanks. Yeah. They said, uh, well, set the alarm. Well, well, if you want a wake-up call, if the mm-hmm. lights come on, okay? So we get the wake-up call, wrap ourselves up, go outside, look around. There's a little bit, but not that much. It was okay. I mean, it was sure. fab- fabulous, obviously. But went back to bed, and then the next morning, um, I was with my, my roommate needed a lot of extra time in the bathroom. I'll just say <laughs> former husband, whatever. Okay. Fair, that's that's fair, how it fair. is. Anyway. So I set the alarm for like four o'clock in the morning for seven o'clock, you know, be down for breakfast. Absolutely. And I, and I opened the window and I went, Oh my God, look at this. It was so incredible. The sky was just on fire it was the most beautiful thing. And I'm screaming at him, wake up, wake up, wake up. You have to come see this. And I think, okay, sometimes, you know, don't complain, set your alarm and, you know, wait for the miracle because it was just incredible. Exactly. No, I've had the pleasure of seeing him a couple of times in Iceland. I have not seen him up in Alaska yet. I've been there several times, but the wrong time of year to see them. The other place, which is a real, I mean, well, any of the Northern countries. I mean, Northern Norway has a, an opportunity. The, of course, if you, if you get those igloos or those ice, the ice hotels um, or the glass, you know, the, the, that situation, and you're there and you have an accommodation where you can just look out, you know, from the warmth of your accommodation, but it's all clear. Yeah. Northern Finland has it. Northern Sweden has it. Northern Norway has it. So plenty of opportunities to do it. So Iceland obviously is a, an amazing place for that. It's such a small country. So there are a lot of opportunities um, because you can get around the country pretty easily. Uh, But other countries in the Northern, the Nordics are certainly applicable here. Now, what's going on with Iceland? How are they handling COVID right now? Are they letting anyone in? Uh, According to my uh, colleagues right now, not really. They were Mm -hmm. at one point, but just like every other country, they're they're restricting entry. I think they also have, you have to produce a negative COVID test. Um, There was a time where they were going to open up. There were several... uh, uh, conferences like Vest Norden that I wanted to attend in uh, in Keflavik in the Reykjanes Peninsula that got put onto a virtual. Uh, so I'm I guess I'm guessing that it's going to be a situation where even Mid Atlantic, which is normally Jan end of January beginning of February, that's going to be virtual next year. You know, 2021. And after that, we'll see what 2022 brings. But I'm hoping if there's a vaccine that actually is effective and people trust it and the world trusts it, then maybe within six months, I will be able to cross the pond and or halfway across the pond and get back to Iceland again well, and a few other great. places along the way. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, when you go, do you usually use uh, Iceland Air? Yes, yes, yeah. because Minneapolis is one of the markets that has ice that that has Iceland Air. Once I flew on Delta because of status, but generally speaking, yes, I will go on Iceland Air. I like but that it's airline. Six hour flight. Yeah, I mean, I, I live in well, my airport's Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. but I I like Iceland Air. I think it's a great airline. It's comfortable, and yes. you know, it's it's uh, the food is great. 
So it is. They do a very good job. Mm-hmm. It, it really, honestly, though, it all depends on what's going on. I mean, Iceland Air is hurting, but every time there's some sort of crisis, Iceland, because it has very limited resources or limited ways of earning a living, as it were, always goes into crisis mode. It happened during the Great Recession where the whole country basically shut down because everything was shuttered down. Mm -hmm. People who were working there went back to their home countries and it was like a ghost town there back in uh, 2008, 2009, that time frame. But you know what? Their tourism will bounce back and I can't wait to promote it again. I had clients that were supposed to go there for anniversary trips or honeymoons and uh, obviously it didn't happen. So we're just hoping it'll be, you know, uh, the, the honeymoon plus one year or the anniversary plus one year. And that's how I look at it. <laughs> I think so. that's how we all have to look at it these days. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Jamie, thank you so much for today. I really appreciate your time and my pleasure um, getting to know you a little bit more. I look forward to like catching up with you in person one of these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll talk soon. All right, Linda. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Take care and stay safe. You too. Bye-bye.